Well, it's great to see you today, and, and man, I, I am really excited to share this message. I, I've been uh, probably, I mean, I'm, I'm always excited, but this series in particular, I am more excited about this series than I've been uh, for a while, because there's so much that we get to, to share in together and look at, and I, I really believe that this is some pretty life-changing stuff. And, uh, and I love that. I love when we see people who, when the Lord just gets a hold of them, how he begins to change their life. And we're just blessed to be able to see that on a regular basis around here. And i got to just give it up and celebrate a couple of guys this past week who God has just gotten a hold of them. First is Herb Little Creek. If you just give it up for him and give his life to Jesus. Six. And uh, the next guy is a guy named Josh Grass. So give it up for Josh, too. It's awesome stuff. I think it's about the, uh, the 10th or 12th gentleman that we have seen that has given their life to Jesus this year so far. And, uh, and not to take anything away from, from ladies that are following Jesus or kids that give their life to Christ, but there's just something when, when you know, we, we know that men typically are kind of difficult. We're, we tend to be a little stubborn sometimes, and so we, we kind of keep God at arm's distance a lot. And so I've been really encouraged by the number of men this year that are stepping up and saying, I, I want to accept Jesus as my own. And so I've just been uh, really thrilled about that. Now, there's something else I want to share with you that I'm really excited about before I jump into the message today. Uh, there is something that I've been praying about for about six years now. Um, you may or may not know this, but there is a large population of people in the Fairdale area who are hearing impaired or, or deaf. And for, for a long time, I've known that, and I know that there are families in our church that have uh, connections with people who are deaf. And one of the most difficult people groups to reach because it's very hard to communicate, and you, you have to use translators, and trying to figure all that out is, is really, really, really challenging. And uh, anyway, so for about six years, I've been praying about that, and it just like, seems like doors just don't open, and I've been kind of frustrated about that. Well, just kind of out of the blue, I had a, uh, a conversation with another pastor in our area at the Northeast Christian Church, uh, one of our sister churches, and uh, they, they said, hey, we, we want to, uh, we'd like to partner with you guys to reach some of the, the deaf people in the community were wondering if, if you'd be open to that. And I said, man, that's kind of like an answer to prayer for me. And so we're, we're really excited. We're going to be starting this up. They're going to have kind of a big event here in our Family Life Center on March the 4th. It's a Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. going to be a di big dinner. And, uh, and, and, and then they're going to be starting a weekly Bible study. It's going to meet at our facility every week. And they're providing translators. But I am so excited about that. And I want to ask you to be praying for these people and for this ministry as it gets up and running. And also, we, we could use some help uh, for volunteers. One of the areas we need help with is in child care. Uh, if you're somebody that, if you volunteer with our children's ministry, we'd love if you would be willing to, to give up a little time to help that ministry get going because we're going to have some kids that we need to provide a safe space for. If you're interested in serving in other ways, please uh, talk to me or, or uh, give us a call sometime during the week. I'd love to, to talk to you about that. But please, I really want you to be keeping that in prayer because I am, I'm just, this does my heart so good knowing that, that we're going to finally have an opportunity to reach these people that I've wanted to be able to reach for at least six years now. So uh, just really, really stoked about that. And Phil mentioned we're starting our small groups up this week. If you're going to be in a group, please grab uh, one of these booklets. We're, they're out in the lobby. And we'd love for you to go along and follow with us. Uh, life groups are just a great way to grow. And really, if you want to get the most 
out of this study, and I hope that you do, because this teaching of Jesus is so powerful and so life-changing, we just, we just don't want to... Uh, you know, we just don't want to just skirt by. And so one of the things I'd like to ask you, if you get one of these books and you're, you're following along, there are places every week for you to take sermon notes. So as we're going through the message on Sunday mornings over the next six weeks, if something strikes you or you think, oh, that's, I got a question about that, or there's something that he said that I, I never thought about it like that, or whatever, just something that you think, I, I would like to talk about this a little bit later. Write that stuff down to jog your memory. And in, in your life group, we're going to be digging even deeper into this, uh, this passage. But we're going to be in the New Testament book of Matthew. If you want to follow along on, in your Bible or on your device, uh, Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at this very famous sermon Jesus preached known as the Sermon on the Mount. And my goal is I want us to go beyond the superficial. I don't want to stay up here and just kind of skirt by. I want us to each... Each of us to search deep in, in our hearts to see ourselves as Jesus sees us. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that he wants us to understand that God, what God is looking for in each one of us, he is looking for internal righteousness, not external action. And that can only happen, the only way we're going to experience that is when God is bringing new life into us. You know, like many of you, I've been really encouraged. I've been uh, trying, to, trying to dig in and, and look a little bit at what's happening at uh, Asbury College. The revival seems to be breaking out. It's pretty exciting stuff. looks pretty cool, kind of spreading different places. And, and as much as I, I love that, as much as I'm excited for those people who are there, something that I also know and recognize, especially these, these younger college students that are coming and, and having this emotional experience, we have these mountaintop moments with the Lord. Uh, hopefully you've experienced that. Maybe in a church service or at camp or wherever. You've experienced that moment where you just feel like it's just you and Jesus Christ in the room. And, and just like this could, couldn't get any better. Couldn't possibly be any better. And those moments are wonderful. And they're life changing. But then we have to climb back down the mountain. And I think this is what we forget about, and this is where a lot of our, our faith is challenged and falls apart against these rocks, is that the Christian life is not all about mountaintop experiences. They're wonderful, but where the growth happens, what many of us know, they've been walking with the Lord for decades, we know that it happens through what seems the mundane. It's the daily stuff, trusting in Christ when I don't see a way forward. Is how do I honor God with my life? How do I honor God by going to work? How do I honor God by paying my bills and by loving my family and by repairing things at my house? Those things aren't small. They seem small and they seem mundane, but that is where faith grows. And that is what Jesus is looking for. And the major theme of the Sermon on the Mount is repent. Repent. Because the kingdom of God is near. I believe that um, is more true today than at any other time in human history. We see in our world and what's happening, we, may, we very, very well may be a generation that sees Jesus' second coming. We very, mo very well may see that. Our world is not getting better. It's winding down. 
That's a reality. It's a fact. And we see it in Scripture, prophecies that, that we've been waiting for, that we are seeing come to fruition in our lifetimes. And so Jesus' words are, it's time to repent. It's time to change direction. You've been living for yourself. You've been living according to the world's standards and what the world says you ought to pursue. It's time to change. Give your life to Christ. Give your life to me. Follow me. That's why we say around here we want to be real people rooted in Jesus. What it means is it's okay to come as you are. You come exactly as you are with all your hurts and your hang-ups and the problems and the the, the sin and the, the habits that I can't break and the problems that just dragging me down. You just bring all that right to, to the Lord and leave changed. Be rooted in Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to have control in your life. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5. This first section of the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes. And we're actually going to split this section into two parts. I could have spent six weeks just on this, but uh, we're going to spend two weeks and Kind of, uh, kind of cruise through it a little bit, but we'll, we'll cover the second half next week. But these things we're going to talk about today and next week, these, uh, these are not things that make you a Christian. But if you are a Christian, over time, these are things that Jesus, Jesus is going to turn you into this kind of person. This is, these, the Beatitudes are not traits that God is expecting us to create. These aren't things that I'm asking you, I'm not asking you, okay, work really hard on this stuff, guys. Let's go out here this week and let's do this stuff. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. These are things that God is accomplishing in us as we walk with him through the mundane stuff in the daily getting up and going about our lives and trusting in Christ. These are the things he's building into us and working into us and in order for us to live this kind of life and get to this place where Christ is calling us to go. We're going to have to climb with him. Several years ago, there was an interview on 60 Minutes with a man who had climbed Mount Everest with, uh, with a group of people. And it was a very difficult climb, uh, lots of challenges and obstacles. You know, a lot of people have died trying to get to the top of Mount Everest. Matter of fact, they're, they're, Mount Everest is littered with frozen bodies of people that didn't make it. Didn't either didn't make it to the top, or they didn't make it down. And it's too dangerous to, to try to retrieve the bodies so they, they just stay up there. And uh, this interviewer, they asked the mountain climber, they said, why do you go through so much danger and difficulty? Why, why would you risk your life to get to the top of the mountain? And the mountain climber just looked at the interviewer and said, well, it's obvious to me that you've never been to the top of the mountain. And for us... As we're seeking to live the life that God is calling us to, the journey is not going to be easy. And it's not always exciting. But the journey, the, the destination, is worth the journey. Let's look at Matthew 5. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. And verse 1 and 2, I'm going to read out of the message version. It says, When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. Now, it's obvious to me when you read this scripture, there were a mass of people at the lake. There was a group there, a large group. But as he began to climb, the committed went with him. In other words, not everybody heard this great sermon. 
Not everybody was willing to go the distance. Not everybody was willing to put one foot in front of the other and make the effort and make the time. But those committed, they got to be part of this. Let's jump into verse 3. Jesus starts and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Other translations say, blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for him. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses the word blessed nine times in 12 verses here. And and this is what we know. This is not a formula to be happy. Uh, This is a a declaration from God about us. The word for blessed is the word makiros. It's a word that is so rich with meaning, it's difficult. You know, there's some words in, in the original text, in the original language that the Bible was written in, either Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. There's some words that they just don't translate easily into English, and this is one of those words. So we may use the word blessed, you may use the word happy, happy are those, uh, and, and those are certainly, certainly true but there's more. It's the idea of happiness. It's also the idea of being fortunate and even, even flourishing. And we, we might assume that to be blessed is just to be happy or to have good things happen to us. But this is so much more than this, this word. It's not a feeling. It's a reality of who we are. Uh, it, it's who God says we are. So when we read, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's not this feeling of It's not this feeling of happiness. It's more of a pronouncement. God is looking at us and he's calling us blessed. He's saying, you are blessed. What it is, it's Jesus looking at us and saying, there it is. That's what I've been looking for. Congratulations. You're, You're doing it. You're living it. Keep going. You've got it. Blessed are you. These are things that God is developing in us over a period of time as we're walking with Jesus. So the first one in verse 5 again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we wouldn't think of being poor in spirit as being a good thing. But here's what he says. He says, congratulations when you are at the end of yourself. You got it. You're, You're there when you come to God with empty hands. When you feel like I've got nothing to offer, I've got nothing left in the tank, that's it, I'm weary. When the demands of God, when the standard of God seems impossible to you. This is crazy to think about. But when, when this, is, this is when God in heaven looks at you and says, you finally got it. There it is. This is what I've been looking for in you. You're blessed. Jesus says you are blessed when the weight of God's expectations are so heavy that it drives us to his throne begging for mercy. And these are going to build. The Beatitudes, they're going to build. This is just the foundation. We've got to understand. You've got to understand this. Otherwise, this whole series is going to be crushing to us. We have to understand these are not things that we manufacture. I'm not asking you to work really hard or to try to be this type of person this is the result of god's work in us through the power of the holy spirit not something that we do it's something god does in us this is what it looks like to be rooted in jesus over the long haul he's developing these things in me and jesus says when you're there when you are poor in spirit when you realize i have nothing to offer this god i am broken i am i am 
weary, I am tired, I could never possibly live up to God's standard. When you're at the end of your rope, congratulations. That's what I was looking for. That's where I was waiting for you to be. The kingdom of heaven is yours now. Because when you think you're at the end of your rope, you realize you were never holding the rope, but he was holding on to you. And you're in the palm of his hands. This is one of the major themes of the Bible. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifice that God desires is a broken spirit. He will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Psalm 138, verse 6 says, Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble, but He keeps His distance from the proud. This is what the first beatitude at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is calling you to. That you would come before the feet of Jesus and confess your weakness, confess your need, and then you receive the kingdom. So you find, If you find yourself in a place of weariness in your walk with God, if you feel frustrated with an ongoing struggle, with a pattern of sin that you just can't seem to break, you've been trying for years and years, but... I just can't seem to get past this. If you will come to God, if you will bring those things to him and lay them at his feet, you'll find him saying to you, there it is. Congrats. You're doing exactly what I, what I want you to do. This is what I'm looking for. You come to me. He's going to say that later on in this sermon. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary, you're carrying these really heavy burdens, come to me. And I will give you rest. He says you're blessed when you're poor in spirit, when you come before him with empty hands asking to be filled because the kingdom is yours. That means all of it. What's the kingdom? The work of God, this reality of goodness breaking through, forgiveness, redemption, freedom, gifts of the spirit, the presence of God. Gifts and abilities to participate in the pushing back of darkness, purpose, peace, the kingdom is yours. And from there, Jesus begins to build on these spiritual attributes. He says in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now let me tell you why I think this is significant. Because this beatitude gives us permission to grieve. This allows us to enter into the sadness of the result of a broken world. I know people that, you know, we... we some of us try to be optimists, and we always try to look for the silver lining, and we're always, well, I know things are bad. I know everything's bad right now, but, you know, we've got to look for the good. We've got to look for the good. We've got to look for the good, and that's, that's great. That's a good outlook. But the truth and the reality is the world really stinks, and there's a lot of really, really messed up things and a lot of sadness and brokenness and pain, and what this beatitude allows us to do is enter into that and not try to suppress it or hide Try to, try to cover up with a false sense of like, you know, spiritual sprinkles. Like, I'm good, you're good, Jesus is good, God is good. All the time, we're all good, so everybody's good, right? Put a smile on that face and, and let's all feel good together. It's not asking us to do that. God says, you've got it. Congratulations are in order when you enter into the heartbreak of this world and you are vulnerable enough to allow yourself to grieve. One of the reasons I think this is especially important for us today is that you and I, we live in a time where we are obsessed. I mean, flat out obsessed with trying to 
find coping mechanisms to avoid sadness and grief. I think this is one of the reasons depression, anxiety is such a big deal. It's like, what's happened to us? Why are we all so wound so tightly and we, we, we're over-medicated and we got all these issues? Like, what, why, why, why is it like this that we're, we're all kind of like this at the same time? Because we don't allow ourselves to grieve. We don't allow ourselves the space to feel any of the things that we need to feel. And, and, and I'm going to argue that's one of, the, one of the major reasons. Anger. Why, why is there so many angry people? You see that just driving on the Gene Snyder. You want to see an angry person? Get out on the Gene Snyder about 7 o'clock in the morning. There's a lot of angry people out there. You, you, look, you look at what's happening. Anger, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks, it is a secondary emotion. We forget that. Well, I'm just angry. No, you're not just angry. There's something else going on. No, I'm just angry. No, you're not. Anger is a secondary emotion. It is a response to either fear or pain. So you either hurt or you're afraid of something. One of those two things is going on, and as a result, you're not allowing yourself to feel that and process and deal with it, so you're angry. It just comes out that way. And a lot of us, we're not allowing ourselves to feel the weight of sadness or disappointment. So the secondary emotion of anger pops out pretty quickly. We all remember just a couple of years ago all the rioting and anger and violence. Every bit of that, every bit of that was nothing more than the result of ungrieved pain. It doesn't make it right. It never makes it right to lash out, but it's one of the products of unresolved grief. We try to find ways to cope and guard our hearts. So we, when we feel grief, maybe we drink a little too much. Or we eat a little bit too much. Or we watch a little bit too, too much Netflix or whatever. We won't allow ourselves to feel the weight of the pain. And yet Jesus here is saying, blessed are you when you mourn. When you grieve. When you allow yourself permission to feel the weight, the whole weight of that. Because you will be comforted. You don't have to pretend everything is okay. I think many of us as we confront this passage... It's surprising because we don't expect this from God. Uh, we, we expect that in order to, to be considered blessed, everything needs to be going right. Like I'm blessed if, if the bank account's, you know, looking good and the car's in good shape and, and the kids are happy and, 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 and everybody f- seems okay and... Like, then, then we're blessed. But Jesus is exposing something. He, he's exposing the way the devil lies to us. Here's something I really wanted you to know today, or at least to challenge your thinking. If you're taking notes, maybe you write this down or take a picture of the screen. Is that sin always takes your expectations of God and reduces them. So what I think that God is doing, the devil wants me to believe that he's not capable of that. Or he couldn't be like that. Or this isn't the way that God works. You know, Scripture says that his thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. That we couldn't possibly, our minds can't fathom what God is doing. And yet the devil wants us to believe, oh, no, 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 you've got God figured out. You, you know what he's like. You, you know exactly what the, the best thing to do. And now you're disappointed because God didn't respond the way you expected him to. That's what sin does. It always takes our expectations of God and reduces them. I love the story of the prodigal son. I love that parable that Jesus tells, the son who tells his father, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the inheritance. 
so that I can just leave this place. I want to be done with you. I'm going to go off and do whatever I want to go do. And so he takes, the, he takes his share of the inheritance, his money, and goes and blows it all. And then he's hung out to dry. He decides over time, well, the money's gone and I, my life stinks. And so maybe, I ought to, maybe I could go back home. You know, it wasn't so bad there. Let's just see what happens. He decides to go home. What does he find? He finds a loving father who's ecstatic to see him. That's what Jesus tells us over and over and over again. You're blessed when you come home to God. He goes on in verse 5. says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. Another way of saying meek is to say humble or gentle. This is really upside down. This is, this is unexpected. We live in a culture that says you've got to stand up for yourself. You've got to be, you know, be your own person. Don't let people walk all over you. Jump the line. Get the fast pass. Only the strong survive. Be a boss. And yet Jesus teaches us something entirely different. None of those things come from him. Let me ask you a question. Are you, are you meek? Are you gentle and humble? Do you have to have power? Like I have to be in control of something. Do you have to be in charge? Do you have to have a say? Do you feel like, no, my voice needs to be heard? Do you have to win every time? Do you have to prove something to somebody? Do you always have to prove that you're right or strong or brave or smart? Do you care a lot about what's right and what's fair when it comes to your own position or comfort? Do other people get to win? Do other people get their way? Gentleness and meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It, it, it stems from trust in God's goodness. That I know that God is good. I know that he is for me and not against me. So therefore, I don't have to worry about my own life. I don't have to be first. That's why the Bible can say, the first shall be last. And the last shall be first. Meekness means I don't try to force things to happen through my own control or power or manipulation god protects me so i don't have to be so self-protective and truth be told there are a lot of times we need to establish boundaries that is true some of us have an issue with that uh, some of us can be recovering people pleasers and we have to learn how to to guard ourselves against some of that that, that is true absolutely valid but here's my concern is that's all i ever hear about all i ever hear is I got, you know, I, I'm, I'm putting up boundaries. You know, I, I, I'm not going to let people walk on me. I got to stand up for myself. You know, all of our all of our stories are about the meek kid who finally learns up to, to stick up for himself, and and we just talk about finding our voice. You know, because nice guys finish last. It's a it's a dog eat dog world. I rarely hear people talking about choosing to sacrificially serve. I don't hear many people say, you know what, I'm. I'm laying myself down, right? Like, I'm laying down my own pride. I'm, I, want, I want to suffer for Jesus. I want what other people want. I'm going to put other people above my, my, own, my own interests. And I'm going to lose and let other people win. The meek in this world, and this is the reality, in this world, in this life, the meek don't rule. But they will in God's kingdom. 
Here's the last part we're going to look at today, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, this is not something we muster up. This is an empty-handed, I-need-your-help-God attitude. Uh, And what's so interesting about this, I think, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are righteous. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, blessed are those who have been made righteous. This is something we know about the gospel, is that Jesus gives us his righteousness. He died on the cross. He absorbed the wrath of of God for our sins. And we, in return, we're clothed in, in his righteousness. But that's not what he says here. He doesn't say, blessed are those who have been given my righteousness. No, no, no. He says, blessed are those who are unrighteous, yet they desire righteousness. What is that? I think we get jammed up sometimes because we think that righteousness means morality. Like that to be righteous means to be ethical, means to be good. I follow the rules and it has to do with my behavior. And there's some weight to that. But a better understanding of it, and essentially how Jesus uses it here in the Sermon on the Mount, is that this has to do with a right standing before God. That we are in a right relationship with God. I I heard a story about a guy who didn't get this concept. You know, this this has been pretty heavy today, so let me me lighten it just for a a moment. Heard about this guy. He He was getting ready to go visit Las Vegas. And uh, so before he left, he looked up on, online, kind of Googled churches in Las Vegas, and he found one that sounded interesting. So he called them, called and talked to the preacher, and he said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm getting ready to fly out to Vegas for the, for the week, and, and uh, I was interested in coming to your church. I want to know what time the services were on Sunday morning. And the preacher was really impressed by that. He says, wow, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've ever had a call like this. Not very many people that come out here to, to Vegas looking for a church and the guy says oh no no you misunderstand i'm not looking for a church i'm looking for the the wild stuff the gambling the parties the wild women and if i have half of the fun as i intend to have i'm going to need a church come sunday morning (laughs) that's uh that's not the idea we're talking about here it's not the image that jesus is giving us but but unfortunately that's the lives that many of us live our relationship with God, our standing with God is kind of like, a, oh yeah, when I, when, I, when I get out there and, you know, do a little too much, then I'll, I'll come back. And, and, I'll, and, you know, that grace is kind of a license for me. I, oh, I know he'll forgive me. And yet Christ's declaration is, blessed are you. Congratulations are in order when you are hungry and thirsty for a right relationship with God the Father. Think about a spouse who is faithful to their marriage vows or a friend who is loyal and trustworthy. Jesus says you are blessed when you desire, when you're craving, when, when what you want more than anything else is to be faithful and loyal to God. This past week I heard a lot of people talking about, hey, did you hear they're, they're going to put the banner back up at the Yum Center? Did you hear about all that? You know, or the 2013 Men's Championship, some, you know, some kind of way to, to honor that since the NCAA took it away. And what, a, what a mess that whole ordeal has been. And, and I am in no way an expert in any of it, but the most, just the, the thing that's interesting to me 
is there has been this desire, just this churning to see a, a, a banner go back up. Why? Why are we hung up on that? Why are we hung up on a banner going up in the building? It's because people want to feel like things have been made right. We've got a hunger for that. You know, we, we need that. I, I want to know that it's, you know, we just, we're putting things where they need to be. Well, take that feeling and multiply it over by about a million in our lives as we relate to God. That heart that I want to be in a right relationship with Jesus. I want to have a right standing before God. And the best part about this is when, when that is your desire, Jesus says, you've got it. I give it to you. You will be filled. You will be made right. And this is the whole message of the entire gospel. It's not that we did something, but it's that God has done something for us. Psalm 42 talks about that kind of longing. It says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? Because I want to be in a right, loyal, devoted, faithful relationship with my Savior. When we hunger and thirst for that, for right relatedness to God, the presence of God himself is the only thing that's going to fill us. The psalmist knew that he needed God. Jesus knew it too, and he calls us blessed when we know God and his presence. We can trust that when we come before him hungry, we will be filled. And that's my prayer for us. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you today, and we do have empty hands. There is nothing that we can offer you. There's nothing that we can do that would in any way earn a right standing with you. But I know that you call us to something deeper. You call us to walk with you even in the, even in the daily grind, in the, in the moments that seem pointless and boring. You are with us and, and you're using those things. You're developing us over time. Sometimes it's so subtle we, we can't even perceive it. But Lord, I pray that you would Keep us close to your heart. Inspire us and, and fire us up with your presence. Make us, make us passionate with, with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Help us to feel that. But then as we come down the mountain, help us, Lord, to be committed. To continue to walk with you. To continue to go where you're going. Lord, I thank you for the life change that you bring to each one of us. May you continue to stoke that fire in us that we would hunger and thirst for a right relationship with our maker. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.